pray together. God, I'm mindful as we sing that song of the man who came to you for the healing of his son. And uh, he believed. <laughs> and, and Jesus met that belief with a miracle. But one of the things that he said is, man, I believe, but help my unbelief. May that be our prayer uh, today. God, we, we declare today that we believe that you are God the Father. We believe, Christ, that you are the only Son, died, raised again, ascended into heaven. We believe, Holy Spirit, that you are the life changer, the one that has brought even indeed salvation to our hearts, that has pricked us to understand our sin. We, we believe these things, but would you help our unbelief? We believe, God, that you have indeed created the church to rise up and make a difference, especially in the day in which we live. May we seize that day in belief in you that you are the one who has indeed made it so. But may you help our unbelief when we feel weak, when we feel powerless, when we feel overwhelmed. God, would you help our unbelief that indeed it might be so, that you would indeed reign and rule in the midst of all of the brokenness of this generation, and all of the brokenness of our world, the, the fear and anxiety that exists around uh, disease, the, the reality of anger that resides in the midst of, of different relationships of, of people and of ethnicities in our country. God, in the midst of that, would you bring us as the church and would you bring us to be one in believing that you are God? And would you help our unbelief when we feel weak, when we feel broken, when we feel angry. Would you help our unbelief in knowing that you are a God that desires for your world to be one under one banner, under one truth, that you are God. And would you help us in today as we hear your word spoken for your glory out of things that actually happened as you indeed declared that you were God. And those around, even in the time of the first century, believed. May we today be encouraged in that same belief. For your glory, for your good, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Ready for his word today? Let's go. Uh, has anyone in the house today ever hit a hole-in-one? Anybody? Ah, Jack Macon, you had a hole-in-one? Come on, babe. That's it. Good. Anybody else? Oh, man, there's a couple back here. Now, I'm not talking about putt-putt. Oops. I have to watch my taped markings so that I stay in the picture. Uh, yeah, so, and I'll so uh, uh, Peggy, uh, um, Jean, thank you. My goodness gracious. Oh, yours was putt-putt. All right. Uh, anybody? Yeah, okay, good. Well, listen, something happened. There's a guy by the name of Patrick Wills. Some of you uh, need to check this fact out. Are you ready for this? Patrick Wills was playing in a local tournament uh, in Virginia, Laurel Hill Golf Club, in 2015. And he accomplished the very unlikely feat of not one hole-in-one, not two hole-in-ones, but three hole-in-ones in one round of golf. That's unlikely. You want to know how unlikely that is? They estimate the odds of hitting three hole-in-ones in one round of golf as one in one trillion. That's unlikely. Uh, do unlikely things happen in our lives? 
Yeah, listen, I, I, I was uh, reading uh, this week, a friend of mine on Facebook, uh, due to COVID-19, was, was struggling financially. She had lost two jobs, uh, laid off, and uh, she had family in West Virginia as well as family in Arizona, so she was looking in both places as to where she might find employment. She was overwhelmed by the reality of the things that some of you may understand and know that feeling, right? So she was just overwhelmed by the reality of her circumstances, and she did what she normally does when she's overwhelmed in that place. She goes for a run. Some of you understand that, right? So she's out for a run. She's in Arizona. She goes to a place that is a bit higher than where her house resides down uh, in the valley. And, and she turned around at one point. And listen, there's no rain. There's no nothing. This is Arizona, right? And she turns around, and there's a rainbow that literally goes, you know, like part of a rainbow, but a rainbow that went from end to end. And guess what was in the middle of the rainbow? Her house. That's unlikely, right? But you know what it told her? It didn't give her any uh, God moment of go to West Virginia, go to Arizona. It didn't solve any of her problems, but you know what it did? It brought a peace upon her that God is good to his promises. And it allowed her to make a decision with the absolute trust in God, not in her. You've had moments like that where unlikely things have happened. I mean, if we all think long and hard of us, most of us here this morning ha have had those kinds of things happen in our lives. Some might consider those things coincidences. Some might, upon reflection, though, declare that they are amazing <laughs> and maybe even supernatural occurrences of God, except for Peggy's hole-in-one at Putt-Putt that was not a supernatural occurrence. <laughs> Good. So listen, I want to ask you a question of that which is unlikely. How many of you, uh, you're, be okay to raise your hand, right? How many of you would consider your conversion, your uh, transition uh, to a relationship with Jesus, your conversion, an unlikely event? Okay, some handfuls out there. Good? Good? I, I, I'm hoping that by the end of this morning, you will all consider the fact that your conversion was an unlikely event. Now, I, I've traveled, I've had the blessing of traveling of, in a spiritual journey with people uh, that their conversion really was unlikely, right? So I, I, I've, I've traveled with some people out of addiction in which their lives and their hearts have been changed and they've loved Jesus and they've followed Jesus and they've turned their actions and their lives around by 12 steps and by the face of uh, Jesus really coming and appearing to them. Those kinds of conversion stories are amazing and unlikely. Some of you have heard me talk about Rayshon. Rayshon is serving a life term in prison, right? And we talk to him probably weekly. Uh, we used to get to visit him monthly. Uh, with COVID, we're not allowed to see him uh, quite now. But the, his, his life is amazing. He was uh, convicted of murder. He was put on uh, death row, uh, which he appealed and got a life sentence. But in that process, right, somebody shared with him about Jesus. This unlikely guy, right, radically has changed and now shares Jesus. He believes prison is his mission experience, right? That's where God has indeed called him. And so we, we have those stories of unlikely conversions, right? But some of you, many of you are sitting here this morning like me and you grew up with godly parents, godly siblings, godly friends, in a godly church, 
And you might be saying to yourself, you know what, my conversion, I, I don't know how unlikely it was. Like, God put all that together. And to that, we say hallelujah. But upon further reflection, upon thinking about Genesis 3 in the fall and depravity, I want to suggest this morning that even your, my conversion story is highly unlikely. I mean, we're told, right, that our bent is towards sin. Paul tells us that without Jesus, we have nothing but enmity for God. But miraculously, God by his spirit has transformed us into his children. And I want to say that even your story, with a great Christian heritage, even your conversion is unlikely. In fact, the story that we read today in Acts chapter 2, verses 14 through 41, shows that uh, this conversion story is unlikely. It's about an unlikely preacher who preaches an unlikely message with an unlikely response. But I'm hoping that this morning as we walk our way through this text that we can blow the dust off your own unlikely story as we approach this unlikely table. Instead of reading the passage as a whole, it's a long passage this morning, I'd like to work our way through it. Um, it's actually a sermon uh, in the scripture, so it's weird to preach a sermon on somebody else's sermon. But I think we'll get through it. You ready? Good. First, I want you to see the unlikely preacher. If you have your Bibles open, uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 14, the very first two words of the text is, but Peter. There he is. He's an unlikely preacher. You do remember what's going on right now, right, in this text. Remember last week we talked about this amazing event that happened where there was a, a loud sound, that of rushing wind, and then these flames fell on the disciples, the 120s head uh, that uh, were of like fire. I, I have been, it's been suggested that, you know how you have the fish emblem on the back of your car? N now to be a part of Covenant Church, maybe to be a part of the, covenant, or the, the greater body of Christ, we should identify with one another by when we see each other go, Right? When they go? Uh, anyways, so uh, flames of fire on their heads. They're speaking in other languages that they had no right knowing, and they're declaring the mighty works of God, right? And, and all of this is happening, and, and the response of the people, some said, what does this mean? Which we looked at last week. The others said, I think they're drunk. Right? Which then Peter stands up. Now, I, I, I don't know, of, of all the 120 that were there, even the 12 disciples that were there, are any of you a little uncomfortable with the fact that it's Peter that stands up? I mean, I mean let's talk about his assets, right? Peter majors on being bold. <laughs> but, but his boldness sometimes gives him foot and mouth disease. You know what that is? Like when you talk before you think, right? Uh, and, and Peter has been known to do that. I, I just haven't imagined, uh, you know, I, it's not in the text, but the reality of the way Rick's weird mind works, I, I see the 11, and, and they're saying, are they drunk? And all the disciples are looking at each other, and when Peter steps forward, all the other disciples go, oh, no. What's he going to say? Right? I mean, because even think about where Peter was 50 days ago before this happened. 
50 days. So if you go in your phone calendar, right, uh, which you're welcome to do if you like, and find May 16th, that was 50 days ago. And you see what you were doing? That's not that long ago. 50 days before Peter stands forward to explain the mighty works of God, guess where he is? Yeah, he's denying Jesus. He's in a garden outside where Jesus is arrested, and they're going, hey, you belong to that Jesus. No, not me. Oh, you're one of those disciples. No, not me. And a third time, hey, I know that you're one. No, not me. Cock-a-doodle-doo, right? Completely denying Christ 50 days ago. And here comes Peter. Oh, no. An unlikely preacher. I don't want to beat up on Peter too much. There's a lot that's happened in those 50 days. Maybe even he tried to show some discipline of not stepping forward, but nobody else would. But can we agree together that Peter in this context, as much as we know about Peter, know and love Peter, is an unlikely preacher at this point in time. And here is the unlikely message, or at least part of it, that he preaches. It's recorded for us here in Acts chapter 2. Now, there is a lot, right, that we could cover in this text. Um, I'm not certain that there's anybody in the house today that's going to argue for us not to take uh, four or five hours this morning to tear apart this text, but that we go quickly through the text, right? Yeah, there's a, that's an amen, right? So, so, so he, he, here we go, a lot here, but what I want us to see as we wander our way through this text is how unlikely this message is of this unlikely preacher. Look at verse 14 through 21, first of all. So, but Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, all those people that are around, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. These people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this, what you're seeing, is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And then he quotes Joel 2. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Here's the summary of those verses, right? Sometimes summaries help. Peter says in this first section, we are not drunk, but actually God said this would happen. We are not drunk, but actually God said this would happen. As Peter speaks to mostly Jews here, people of Judea and Jerusalem, so mostly Jews, here's what they know. They know the Old Testament. And they know the Old Testament prophets. 
So Peter goes to Joel, probably a passage that would have been familiar to his listeners. Here's a little bit about Joel. Uh, don't, if I ever do a series on Joel and it takes me eight weeks to do it, don't remind me that I'm going to tell you the whole book of Joel in just 30 seconds. But here it is, right? The, the book of Joel starts by the prophet Joel uh, expressing God's frustration and anger, his wrath upon the people of God, and saying that he's going to send swarms of locusts, three swarms in fact, upon them that's going to destroy them, and that they should repent. And the people of Israel didn't. And so then he continues. He says, listen, you think the, the locusts were bad. I'm going to send enemies upon you, and they're going to completely destroy you. But now is the time to turn back, of which the people of God didn't. But at the end of Joel, right? At the end of Joel, Joel says, listen, God is still going to take pity on you. He's still going to have mercy on you. And that's where this text comes. Look, he's going to pour out his spirit on you. He's going to revive you. He's going to renew you. He's going to, be, he's going to give your uh, young men and your old men prophecies. to the, the spirit of God is going to fall upon you. So guess what part the good Jews like to hear about Joel? This part, right? They, they memorize this part. Look, one day this is going to happen. And you know what Peter is saying? Here's what's unlikely about what Peter is saying. Peter's saying, listen, we're not drunk, but what you're seeing is Joel coming to life. This is the day when all of that happens. What you are seeing is not drunk people. You're seeing people on whom the Spirit of God has been poured out upon. Peter quotes this restoration, this renewal process. The the portion that would have been repeated in Jewish tradition as they waited on the Lord to restore them. Hear it, Peter says, these people aren't drunk, but they are the evidence that God has poured out his spirit as he promised in Joel. This is it. And with it is a plea. Do you hear it? Call on the name of the Lord, and you will be saved. But listen, Peter doesn't stop here. I told you we were going to go fast. In fact, he is just getting started. Listen to this next longer section, verses 22 through 35. After he talks about Joel, he says this, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. But God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, and he goes back to the Old Testament. Here he is in Psalm 110. It's, a, it's the psalm that we actually studied on Easter Sunday. I know all of you remember it just this past year. He says this, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Peter continues, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption." 
This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. <gasps> Take a deep breath. It's a lot, right? A lot there. Can I summarize it for you? Here's the summary. Peter says, not only did God tell you that this would happen, the whole flames and rushing wind and all of that good stuff, but he also told you, before it even happened, about the life, the death, and the resurrection of this Jesus whom you just saw ascend into heaven. Not only did he say that this was going to happen, but he also said that this Jesus was going to happen. So he reviews, right? He says, you remember Jesus? <laughs> He's only been gone a short time. You knew there was something divine about him because of the mighty works that he did, the way that he healed people, the way that he raised people from the dead, the way that he delivered people out of demonic power, the way in which he spoke and he taught with authority. You know this Jesus. This Jesus... <laughs> And he mentions this, whom you crucified. Ouch. Right? The rest of the disciples went, ooh, did you have to go there? Right? This, this Jesus who was great, whom you crucified. But listen, the only reason you crucified him is because God had predetermined that you would. Wow. Ready? And then he raised from the dead. You thought fireworks were good, man. That was, that's going off in their head, right? Just like David said in Psalm 16, the Lord will not be abandoned in death, and he will not see corruption. His body will not see decay. And listen, because many of the Jews thought that Psalm 16 might only refer to David, Peter makes it clear that they still can visit David's tomb. He's still in the ground. But... You cannot visit Jesus' tomb. His body is not there. He is risen. He's risen indeed. You hear it? And then we get to verse 36. Now, oftentimes, I tell you that I'm going to give you a sermon in a sentence, right? And I stop and say, pay attention, because this is like the whole sermon. Well, this is Peter's sermon in a sentence, right? In case you didn't get it, all of you multitudes standing there thinking that we're drunk, get this. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So, so get Peter's logic. The crazy things of Pentecost have happened because God said they would, just like he said Jesus would come in power, just like he said Jesus would be crucified, just like he said that Jesus would rise from the dead, even ascend into heaven. And why? Why did all that happen? Why am I preaching this word right now? So that all of you who are listening might know, listen, for certain that Jesus is Lord in Christ. Now, we've flown. I'm going to slow down. And we're going to have a Greek lesson. You ready for that? Some of you get scared about Greek lessons. I'll make it easy for you, right? I want you to look at verse 36 and learn some Greek. Peter says that we know for certain that Jesus is Lord in Christ. The know here is the Greek word gnosko. 
Say it with me, it's fun to say. Gnosko. Ah, see, you're learning Greek so fast, it's good. It means to know, but it means a process of knowing. So like in school, you first learn addition, and then you learn multiplication, and then you learn algebra, and then you go to calculus. There's a process of learning. Gnosko is that kind of process of learning. It's not an immediate know, it is a process of knowing. So what is it that that Peter is saying, that God is saying through Peter in this, that there's a no, there's a process. Well, here's the process. The point in which the process is unlikely, but absolutely cool in this sermon, is that you can know what? For certain. Asphalos. Say asphalos. Make sure you get that one right, right? Asphalos, right? Means for certain. It's only used three times in the New Testament. Not used a lot, but Peter uses it intentionally here. It means securely. Without doubt. Like you can, you can know this for certain. So you're in a process of knowing, but the, the cool process has led you to a place of certainty. What is he certain about? That this Jesus is Lord, Kyrios. There you go. Somebody said it without me saying, Kyrios, right? It, it means Lord, owner, ruler. And Lord was used a lot in the New Testament and in that day to talk about somebody who owned land or owned a portion, uh, 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 reigned over a certain portion of land. And the reality is, is that, that, that Though what Peter is talking about is that Jesus is Lord, not just of a certain portion of land, not even certain people, but of all things, of everything. He is Lord of all things. So that you can know for certain that this Jesus, whom you crucified, who raised from the dead, who ascended into heaven, is Lord. And get this, he is Christ, Christos. He is the Messiah. He is the anointed one. He's the very one that all of you have been waiting for, for restoration and renewal and revival. He is this one. And you can not only know it, but you can know it for what? For certain. For certain. Peter says that this Jesus is that one. Now, to, to understand the unlikely nature of this message, you would need to know the unstable nature of the thoughts of the day about Jesus. We have 120 people who have been identified, right, who I would be safe to say that they knew for certain that Jesus was Lord and Christ. They've been in a room waiting for this to happen, <laughs> and it has. They're like, I'm down with this, right? This is good. But there are a multitude of people, right, who stand before them, who might be curious about this Jesus. Like, we've heard of him. We actually watched him. Like, he healed my great Aunt Susie, right? I, there's something about him that's way cool. I'm curious about him. There may be even some who have said at one point or another, we believe. They may have been uh, there on Palm Sunday, waving the palms, putting the coast down. Hosanna! He is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I mean, they were in belief, right? But uh, a few days later, their lives said something else. Crucify him. Crucify him. So they're confused. Do I believe or don't I believe? That's who's standing in front of them. And then there are some, probably the Pharisees, some of the Sadducees, and they're like, I'm so glad this Jesus thing is over. Like, he's dead. He's, whatever happened, I don't know what happened, but I just can't get my mind around Jesus. I'm going back to my Jewish ways. 
complete in unbelief. And here's what is unlikely about this message to them, is that this Peter is saying, he's not saying, I, I think this is right. He's not saying, eh, I'm pretty sure this is right. He's saying, listen, you can know what? For certain that he is both Lord and Christ. To everyone but maybe the 120, the idea that he can be certain of who Jesus is is unlikely. And yet this is the message of Peter. And then finally, let's take a look at the unlikely response. We have an unlikely preacher who speaks an unlikely message, and there is an unlikely response of these people who are gathered there. It is much like a drop-the-mic moment. I, I imagine it this way. Peter's preaching, 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 and, and then uh, the organist starts to play just as I am, and he gives a plea, right? Is that what happened? No, listen, what I think happens is Peter just stops speaking. So I, I, I've given you everything. I'm, I'm certain that he's Lord in Christ. And there's silence. And then this happens. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, listen, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about three thousand souls. That's unlikely. Was it Peter's convincing words? No, he's just a messed up guy that 50 days ago was denying who Christ is. Was it the circumstances around in which they saw it? Was it maybe even that whole flame on the head? No, listen, here's what it was. They were cut to the heart. By whom? By the Spirit of God. The same Spirit that had fallen had fallen on them. And they asked the preacher's dream, right? Imagine me preaching to you, and, and you're saying all, I'm saying all these things, and, and you say, what should we do? I would go, oh, God, that's good. I mean, that's preacher's dream. Right? We're like, what should we do? Like, you want to do something about what I just said? But this is, so drop the mic moment, absolute quiet. Peter's standing there, and they're going, well, what should we do? To which he says, I'm so glad you asked. Repent. Right? Because your curiosity isn't going to get you there. Your saying one thing and doing another is not going to get you there. You need to repent from all that. Turn around, not only your minds, but your hearts. Repent and then be baptized. But as a sign and a seal of the reality of not your decision, but what God has done in you. And you know what's even more unlikely? They did it. They said, okay. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know where they got the water. I don't know where they were, what, what river they found. But 3,000 people that day baptized. Do you know the church of God in that moment, in that day, grew by 25 times? 
25 times 120, you figured it out? It's 3,000. Holy cow. Right? The, the events are amazing. This is an amazing moment in time. But I want you to see what's unlikely about that. So think with me. Who wrote Acts? Luke did, right? And who did he write it to? Theophilus, right? So here he is. Luke is a Greek guy. He's not a Jew. He's a Greek guy writing to another Greek guy who has influence over other Greeks about a Jewish revival. Does that seem unlikely? Well, you want to know what seems unlikely to the Gentiles who heard it? That Jews could change their mind. <laughs> right? Sorry to anyone with Jewish heritage, but you could probably say amen to this, right? The Jews who are lock, stock, and barrel in their laws, in their traditions, in their everything, that in a moment from an unlikely preacher, an unlikely message, and a bunch of them said, I'm in. To a bunch of Gentiles, they're going, whoa, like if God can do that, then just maybe he can change me. And I think that's the point. It's amazing because it happened. But I think Luke tells it because they'll get it, that this is of God. And that God, who creates unlikely messengers to speak unlikely messages to get unlikely responses, is a God that I want. It's where I turn to you, to me, and ask, listen, are we just going to learn about the amazing story of the book of Acts? Or are we going to be challenged to become an Acts church? Will we read this and go, wow, that's an amazing moment in time? Or will we read it and be amazed, listen, at our own conversion? Because it's unlikely. Will we just come to this table today amazed by what God has done, or will we be more amazed by what God is doing? Here's my final thought this morning, and it's our own unlikely story. Are you here this morning? And among the 120 who know for certain that Jesus is Lord and Christ. I, I hope there are some, right? That you stand today confident, right? You got the asphalos, right? You, you are certain that he is ruler of all, king of all, lord of all, and the anointed one that would come to save you, that in his death and resurrection you would be delivered and have freedom from sin and death. Listen, if that's you, and whether that happened at 6 or at 60, whether you were part of a church family all your life, or you were the first in your family to even believe, I am here to tell you that your salvation, even your salvation, was a miracle of God. And it is about time that we blew the dust off of that conversion story and be amazed at the unlikelihood that he would have loved you. Maybe you're here this morning living in the middle. You know what I mean by living in the middle? You're curious. You're here. Eh, maybe Jesus is all right. I mean, I, 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 I like some things and not quite sure about other things. You're, you're curious this morning. Maybe you're here knowing that at some point in your life you said, I believe. You walked an aisle. You prayed a prayer. 
And you say, I believe, but man, lately your life is not really reflecting the belief that you have professed. And you're confused. You're, you're in the middle. Can I, can I steal a page from Peter's sermon for you? This is what I believe, that if, that if God has done any moving in your heart to even bring you here this morning, it's not because you have chosen him, but because he has what? Chosen you. That, that God actually knew you before you knew you. <laughs> and even this day of your life, that you might feel challenged to believe for what? To believe for certain that he is Lord in Christ is something that he already knew about and that he's already been doing. So I'd encourage you not to be overwhelmed about what you've done or not done as much as you are overwhelmed with the fact that God has loved you in the midst of all of that to bring you here today to hear this his word that you can know for certain that Jesus is Lord in Christ. And now maybe, maybe there's some of you who are quite frankly saying, when is this guy going to shut up? I've got lunch waiting, right? This whole Jesus thing, I'm not sure, and he hasn't convinced me. I, I want you all to put your fingers in your ears, except those who are here to say that I, I just don't get it, I want you to shut up. Because I, I want to tell you folks that I'm actually more excited that you're here than anybody else. And I don't care if you don't like me. I, I don't care if you don't quite get this. What I love is the fact that you are here. And all I ask you to do is maybe look around, because there's at least 120 people in this room who have been changed by this gospel, who maybe some are certain that he is Lord in Christ. And if he did that in some of them, and you know some of them, then just maybe he can do it in you. It's all I want you to think about. Just maybe Christ came, died, and rose again for you. We are unlikely stories today touched by the unlikely love of God, and we come to this unlikely table that at some level, we must deal with the truth of knowing for certain that Jesus is Lord in Christ. Fairy tales, they're fictional stories that we love because they take us to a story that has everything working out in unlikely ways, right? The prince shows up at the most uncanny time to save the day. But as we grow older, we realize that fairy tales are not true. They're fairy tales. This table, to some, might seem like a fairy tale. That God would love you so much that he would send his son to die for you? It seems unlikely that the God of all creation would love us enough to come to earth in order to die for everything that we have done wrong and then would rise again so that we would know that we have the power to overcome death and would ascend into heaven, that today he might speak on our behalf, that we might have life. Sounds like a forever fairy tale. 
that his body would be broken for us, his blood shed for the forgiveness of sin, that we might be certain that we belong to him. That's crazy talk. But here is the amazing thing that we need to blow the dust off of this morning. It's true. It's not a fairy tale. It is the very thing that God has said that he would do all along. We are told that at just the right time that Jesus has come for us and that while we were weak, while we were sinners, while we were hopeless, he died for us. And we don't come to just remember that this morning. We come to live in that this morning. To be amazed by that this morning. To rejoice in that this morning. To be certain that he is Lord in Christ. So be amazed once again in the unlikely story that he has done this for you. Seize this day. Seize this moment as likely, unlikely as it is and know that it is true. It's unlikely that God would save us, but he has. And he has by the sending of his son.